Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Searching for clues to discover God's mysterious plan for your family? Then don't change that dial. Join us now in our discussion of the mystery of parenthood. Here are your hosts, Trey and Stephanie Cashin. Good afternoon. That's Trey Cashin. Um, and I'm with Thaddeus this afternoon. Stephanie had a, a work emergency that she had to go take care of. And so uh, we're going to do that. But let's begin with a prayer. Um, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, you um, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the, div- the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love, with the, Holy, with, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Saint Pope St. John Paul II, pray, pray for, for us. us. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, Father and the Son, Son and, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, you had something? Yeah. Well, good afternoon, man. Thanks for Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad Thaddeus is here. This was kind of a last minute deal. Fill in. That, Although it's impossible to fill Stephanie's shoes, you know. Well, of course, but, you know. So. It's a, <laughs> it's like, but we're all unique and unrepeatable. It's like and half a mystery here. of parenthood. That's right. Now we're... Glad you're here, and I am always love having discussions with you, so yeah, thank you. do that. Uh, I just wanted to let our listeners know that uh, the second annual Red Sea Catholic Radio Family Retreat is coming up on January 5th and 6th of 2018. It's going to be at St. Anthony's Catholic Church in Bryan, but everyone in our listening area is, invite, is welcome to come in. Uh, registration and more details will be up on the website uh, soon, but we're giving you a kind of a save the date uh, a couple months away. And we're going to have Greg and Julie Alexander from the Alexander House in um, San Antonio be our keynote speaker. We're also going to have breakout sessions. We'll have Mass, pray the Chapel of the Divine Mercy on Saturday at 3 3 (laughs) a.m. Not 3 3 a.m. 3 p.m. Not 3 (laughs) a.m., folks. Sorry about that. Um, And we'll have children's uh, activities. So it it truly is meant to be a family retreat. Uh, bring, Bring the whole family. Leave no one behind at home. We had a great turnout last year, and we're hoping for an even better turnout this year. Um, so please mark that date, January 5th and 6th. It's the evening of Friday, January 5th, and then 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturday the 6th. So we hope you can all um, come to that and be a, be a part of the Red Sea Family Retreat. Yeah, that's awesome. I, and I didn't know that you all had the Alexanders coming, yeah. but I love Greg and Julie. I've known them a long time. They're excited to they're excited to come, and we're trying to 
we're making them a, a part of the the planning for the retreat. But our theme is um, being present in our families through the real presence. So trying to link uh, a greater awareness and connection to the Eucharist with better pre- be- a better sort of real presence, you might say, in our own families. Um, slowing down, simplifying, being there for for one another, and I think th- that ties in with with themes that are very much a part of of this show too. Oh, absolutely, and I would think. I mean, like I said, I've known Greg and Julie for goodness gracious, I bet probably fifteen years. Yeah. But, um, that that I didn't know they were coming, so I'm excited. I'm bummed that we're going to be gone in our family. Uh, our big once a year family retreat. That, that I mean, I guess you can like, always, you know, rearrange your calendar last minute. And I don't think so. <laughs> eat, eat some money that you made, some deposited. Uh, no, yeah. Unfortunately, it's once a year that my that my brothers and I get together with my and family get together with my dad, and my dad gets a place, and we kind of have a family retreat of our own. It's usually that first weekend in January, so it was already booked whenever this came up. So anyway. I look forward to we can hearing about you in. hear about hear about that. I would love to hear them and uh, speak. And anyway, I digress. So what are uh, we talking about today? Today, 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 I thought. Well, let me start with this with this um, from St. Paul's uh, letter to Timothy, the second one. And I think this is, I think it's important that we do this, and it kind of springboards into what we're going to talk about here. And so he's talking to to uh, Timothy. St. Paul, and this is in 2 Timothy 4, and and St. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be urgent in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, and exhort, be unfailing in patience and in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own likings and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. And as for you, always be steady, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. I think even though he's speaking to to, uh, effectively a priest at that time, that that, that's... that is something that we can take as family members as, as the domestic church and say that we should recognize that we're called to, you know, preach the word, be um, urgent in season and out of season, rebuke, exhort. I mean, you know, try to be involved in this and be unfailing in patience and in teaching <laughs> because of, and he points to this, and this is what's happening now and what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about those ways that uh, we find teachings that are either easier to understand, softer on the ears, more to our liking because they fit that. In other words, those are what we would call heresies. And sometimes one of the ways that you can learn the truth is, is by starting off with what something isn't. <laughs> start off with something that's false because it points to that. In fact, what's interesting is if you look at all of the of the um, councils, the councils that were that have been part of the church, where the where the bishops would get together and and address something that's happened, pretty much all of them flow from a 
widespread, broad heresy um, and the need for the church to respond to it. In fact, I think they would even say that that was something that's pointing to the fact that that God is asking the church to address this particular one because of an error that's being pointed out there. Um, and so that's what usually, that's kind of how councils come to happen. The first one being in the Acts of the Apostles, um, where they address whether you can, I mean, circumcision and those type of things, is it's recounted in, I think, Acts 16. So... And then the most recent one being Vatican II um, that was in the, in the 60s um, was kind of the end. I think that's 20, the 21st council maybe. But each one of these, so we're going to go through these heresies. I think it's important. I, we're going, we're, I'm pulling this from a Catholic Answers deal on the great heresies. And I think, it's, I think it's worth doing what they do here is to actually kind of define terms and, and – um, and make sure that we're we use the word correctly because I do think people call other people heretics maybe too frequently <laughs> and and not not appropriately in many cases and so they talk here you know it, it is a term that 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 goes but he they make a distinction between incredulity schism um, apostasy and other sins against the faith and so quoting from the Catholic. Um, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says that incredulity is the neglect of a revealed truth or the willful refusal or to assent to it. So that's just basically, I don't believe it or I don't want to do it and I'm not going to assent to it, but I'm inside the, inside the faith. It's just, a, I think, I guess incredulity would be not believing something that's taught. I think there's a lot of people out there in, in various circles within the church that that pick and choose that would be kind of a maybe a catholic <laughs> cafeteria a cafeteria catholic type picking and choosing um heresy is the obstinate post-baptismal denial of some truth which must be believed with divine and catholic faith or it is likewise an obstinate doubt concerning the same so it has to do with first of a baptized christian a baptized catholic Seeing a truth and and in denying it and not being willing to correct it's 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 pretty much a rejection of the authority of the church to say so. Anytime I speak, and I will will document it here. If if I ever say anything that is contradicted by the church, the church says, "No, Trey misspoke." Then I misspoke. <laughs> I mean, the, the I am trying to convey what I what I've been taught is the truth but if the bishop or somebody were to come back and say he's wrong about this or he misstated it then I right now tell you I submit to that uh, and I'm wrong yeah. and that's and that's that's the difference so incredulity is the stage one it's that initial doubt or refusal right. to believe that word that's important in heresy there is obstinate that's that word is used twice so Opposite the church, try, uh, a church, a theologian, or the the pope, or the congregation for the doctrine of the faith, tries to you know go to somebody and and say, no, this this is the teaching of the church, or this is the truth, and that person comes back, that person who's incredulous comes back and says, no, it's I'm not. Right, I, I'm right. You're wrong. I can maybe they say something like, oh, I don't know, 
I can, here I stand, I can do no other, maybe like something like that. Right. And then that's when they're into heresy because right. they're refusing to submit to correct and, teaching. And they, and they are, the a bap, they're baptized, and they're baptized Catholics. Catholic. So, that you, so it'd be impossible for somebody who's not baptized to actually be a heretic. Right. Which That's sometimes right. it's used it's used incorrectly. That's right. For people who are not um those. But it is just the obstinate hanging on to what I believe and saying the church is wrong about this. Um so it's a rejection of the authority. And this is an obstinate doubt. So it can also be staying in an I don't know stage or I'm not sure stage rather yeah. than trying to, to learn, trying to be trying to come to truth. Right. And the, it's the seeking of the truth and being open to whatever the truth is. You know, in, in the family and, and kind of tying this into family and this being the domestic church, I always say, you know, if you don't understand something or don't agree with something that mom and dad are doing, it's okay for you to come respectfully and say, I don't agree with this. I don't like this. I don't think this is right. Um, but my, but, but as the authority, if you ask why are you doing this or why do you think this is important? I say to them, as long as you're okay with, as long as you're okay with what I say as an explanation, you're not asking why just to <laughs> be difficult. I mean, I, you're asking why, cause you truly want to know. And if what you hear is maybe not what you want to hear, but you're open to that, then, then we're okay you're open to hearing it and then you're open to assenting to it because of the authority that I am as the father. Same thing with the church. We must be willing to assent. It's fine to ask. So to stay in doubt without asking, looking, searching for the truth, because we're guaranteed Jesus says, if you seek, you will find. And so if you seek, you will, right. you just have to be open to what that truth is. So, um, I guess going going forward, the other words that are frequently thrown around, apostasy is actually a, a total repudiation of the Christian faith. So Christian Christianity is wrong. So um, somebody who leaves, I guess this is the, the then this is schism is the next one, and it's a refusal of submission to the Roman Pontiff or of communion with the members of the church subject to him, and so uh, oftentimes somebody who has a heresy who stays. Christian would fall into the category of schism, um, but it would not necessarily be an apostate. Right. Right. So anyway. And if they're, and if you're not, if you're not baptized a Catholic, you can't be a schismatic. You have to, you have to be a member of the church first and then to say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to submit to the authority of, of the see of Peter. Right. And no, and, and it's noteworthy that a heretic is not somebody, it's somebody who knows what the church teaches accurately right. and is countering it. There are people out there who don't know what the church has baptized looked, and they're baptized and they're baptized and they're just off target. They're not committing heresy if they're teaching something, but they're not aware. Right. Now it is their obligation, you know, to, to try to search for and right. if challenged to, to move towards finding the truth because the truth is uh, available. Right. And an atheist who's never been baptized, never been raised in the Christian faith is not an apostate. Right. You have to be a Christian first. Right. Then turn your back on it. 
exactly. to, be a, to be an apostate. So anyway, that, that's probably more than, than than you need. But just wanted to make sure that the, that that we understand what we're talking about with regard to heresies. These are these are people who have or have tried to hold on to the Christian faith, but have done it um, outside of the confines of the authority of the church, and when corrected, stayed out there. Um, lots of times, the the we don't understand that the that the councils. I think it's important to remember that the councils often are when when they see something is becoming a threat to orthodoxy to the to the truth coming out and saying we have to make a statement and typically they deal with these people that commit heresies one on one it's to some extent to try to get them to recount and say okay I was wrong um but when they don't and that and they begin to spread it then the church in her wisdom and in her timing will tend to come and address it as a, as an issue that's to be held. Um, and so it, it, the reason I bring that up, there are things that have been taught by the church that had not been challenged, but when they become challenged, for example, it, in 1850, we talk about the immaculate conception of Mary, right? That was defined in 1854. Um, that was not new in 1854. <laughs> that was not something new. That was something that the church felt like because of things that were going on, uh, that it needed to be stated, this is something that we have to hold on to. You can go back to the beginning of the church and find that even hail full of grace, if you understand theology, says that she was immaculate. Right. So... Um, so even biblically, you can do it. The church has taught, you can see, she's the new Eve, the undoer of knots. I mean, she's the one that counter, you know, counteracted the sin of Eve. Um, all of those things um, are important to note that when something's defined, it doesn't mean that, oh, wow, we, <laughs> we didn't believe this. It's actually saying this is what has been held for a long time. And now because it's being challenged, we need to address this in a more uh, formal way. And that's where those come from. So we're going to go through some of these, um, if not all of them. But I think it's a good way to kind of focus. I think you'll notice, and we were talking about this earlier, you'll notice at, for the listeners out there that many of these things exist today. Maybe not under the name of that, maybe even inside of non-Catholic Christian churches, you'll recognize some of the underpinnings that exist. The devil's a liar, um, and and he's not creative <laughs> in terms of his lies. He can repackage them, but at at the at the core, um, he's just repackaging old lies. Um, so. As we go through it, I think we can point to some of that. We'd already, yeah, and also you're going to notice that almost all of these heresies concern either the nature of God, right, or the nature of Christ or the person of Christ. Who, who, so it's about as the church is developing its doctrine and dogma, right? And it's coming to understand revelation and, and sort of the unfolding of revelation and the implications of the gospels and the teachings in the epistles right. and tradition. What does it mean for who God is? What, what God is? What, what does it mean for 
how we understand Christ and, and defining the, these these things. So, in some t- in some cases, these heresies and uh, the teachers of these heresies they didn't start out in bad faith. It was a devi- It was a deviation from and that happens from the truth, and then human pride gets in the way, human ego gets in the way, and there's that you get that obstinance, that refusal to submit. Because you've convinced yourself right. of that. But again, the church is here to keep us in, in line <laughs> and to make sure that we're on target. And it has a reason for what, and that, I think as we go through these, I think it's important for us to remember, there's a reason why the redirect, the, the hey, you're off target on this, is... Um, a good way to a good way to recognize okay we have to hold on to this because this reveals something about God mm-hmm. about who Jesus is and and ultimately about who we are right. in that relationship and just one more before we launch into it you know this fits very well with parenthood i mean here here is the church acting as holy mother church that that's the role of the parent is to is to read it right is to clarify for for the child uh Absolutely. What, what it means to be a part of this family, who we are, uh, then larger, who we are as members of the human family, as members of the body of Christ. What that, what that means for our everyday life. You're constantly teaching. <laughs> you're in, in many ways, your role as a parent is you're constantly stamping out heresy, right? And or you're and you're in looking, your own little family, right? And you're looking where where the stuff is coming in and, and you're addressing it as you do. We've talked about you walk along the, the events that occur or what, well, the church has done that all along. Right. Whenever something has come up that has been significant and somebody is obstinate in that and it's impacting other people as a good mother is going, is going to go out there and say, okay, we, we need to address this now because why? Cause it's in front of us, yeah. <laughs> you know, now. And right. so, um, that's why it's imperative that we understand that the church is just showing us what parenthood is. Parenthood is is recognizing those times when the outside, when somebody who's not in line with what we do is proposing something to one of our children and that our children may get swept away, that we need to address that issue now and call them back. And even our children can obstinately <laughs> go. We pray that that wow. isn't the case. But that's, Think of all that's those it. families that that suffer that, that pain in this day and age. Right. And so we um, keep them all, we keep all of you all and all of them in our, our prayers today. And we're in good company because Jesus, because God's family himself has children who, who he loves, who Jesus died for, who are baptized, (laughs) who have chosen to walk away from, from the protection of the family. Um, And if you have, and if you have children who are in that, in that place right now, older, you know, teenage or adult children who are in that place, Maybe some of what we talk about today can can help you propose the truth of the church in a in a new way, or you can maybe you can see some of uh, see their their errors for for what they are, and you can attack um, the ideas rather than the person. You can attack Absolutely. the ideas that your child is is uh, grappling with rather than them as the as a person, and you can continue to treat them with, with dignity. Right. And St. Paul says to Timothy, he says, we, we got to be unfailing in patience and in teaching. Yeah. And so 
um, need to be patient. We don't need to force them back. We need to uh, teach them back, so to speak. <laughs> draw them back. Draw yeah. them back by what's true. Because we're all made for the them truth. Back. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, it is. that we, we, we can count on the fact that we are drawn to the truth because God made us that way. So if we can propose it in a way that is truthful, but is not um, going to make them put up their defenses, we can talk through it and we're patient with them. Like you got to believe this now. I think there that we can be with prayer and reliance on God's grace. We can be um, hopeful that that our children will come back, just like the church is hopeful. In fact, some you know, this is the last thing, but it, but I think it's important here. I've had it. I've had somebody say, well, you know, like there have been heretics, you know, say, um, you know, schisms, say the the Lefevres, the the Saint Pius, the, that that group that broke away, and there was a long, you know, a decade long, a kind of uh, discussion going back and forth about between what they believe and and what the church is and the church trying to call back. And a lot of people are saying, why don't you just, you know, excommunicate them, get them. Back. And, and the, only, the best way I can say is the church considers herself a mother, just like your kid. There's a point at which you may have to tell your child, you can't stay here any longer, but you're going to be way more patient with your child. And so the church has been patient. So there are people that are frustrated that they didn't do it that quickly. I say, well, no, the church is a mother. And as a mother, it's going to try to be patient with, with their children and not kick them out, excommunicate them just because they, even if they've been obstinate for some time, they're going to try to go through, as long as they can to try to gain them back. And then the kicking them out, the excommunication is not punishment like, well, now you get what you deserve. It's now a call to say, this is so serious, you can't be part of the family to try to get their attention to say, this is not just like a, an easy, you know, I like peas, you like carrots. I mean, right. <laughs> it's not an opinion. Um, so anyway, all that being said, we'll just go through some of these. Uh, the first one is the circumcisers and that's in the first century. And that, then that was that, you know, basically said that, um, well, Acts 15, five, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So even at the beginning, and again, that points to the fact we're, we're talking about at the very beginning, you have the Jews, you know, <laughs> newsflash, the apostles were Jewish. <laughs> and so they lived in the context. So it, it had to have been a difficult thing to try to figure out whether well, you have to come into the Jewish faith before you can go to Christian, you know, become a Christian. And there were people who were teaching that. And again, the, the authority lied in the apostles getting together. Peter actually stands up and says, Hey, listen, by my experience and given the fact that Christ gave me the keys of the kingdom, um, I saw God accept people who had not been circumcised um, when he goes and I guess chapter 10 and he, and he, and he says, you know, God revealed to me that we don't have to be circumcised to do that. So again, the context is this is early on in the faith, just after Jesus, there's going to be, you can imagine, you know, knowing that he's the Messiah, he's the fulfillment of the Jewish of the old covenant 
and is established a new covenant in which we're found that, that, that there had to be some discussion about, well, how does that fit into what? Because we were good Jews before, and now we just now received the Messiah, the answer to that. So, Yeah, and let's be clear here, too, that they're called the circumcisers, and the, the, the question of circumcision was sort of at the, the root of it, or was the, the, uh, the knot. But really what that entailed was saying that you had to be circumcised, and then circumcision itself was an acceptance of the entire Mosaic law, that you would live under all the Mosaic prescriptions of the, of the old law, quote-unquote. And that's kind of what also Paul is, is getting at and the Council of Jerusalem is getting at is that, no, we're, we're not under the old law anymore. We're under Christ. Right. right. And, and again, cir- circumcision was, was the way God uh, brought Abraham, who's, right. who's the father of our, our faith, in, and, and that's where they were tying that to. He's just saying that to new. In fact, St. Paul links the new circumcision to baptism. Right. And that's the that's the entry point into the family of God under the new covenant. So, anyway, again, I think it's still um, context defines what needs to be addressed. So, if there's people out there spreading errors, that's where the church goes. As parents, the same thing. That's where we go to those errors and 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 again address that. Uh, Montanism was late second century, and so. Um, Let's see, it says Montanus began his career innocently enough, as many people do that are heretics, uh, through preaching a return to penance and fervor. His movement was also emphasized the continuance of miraculous gifts such as speaking in tongues and prophecy. However, he also claimed that his teachings were above those of the church, and soon he began to teach Christ's imminent return in his hometown. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Uh, in his hometown, there were also statements that uh, Montanus himself either was or at least specially uh, spoke for the paraclete. The, I mean, the, the Holy Spirit. Um, and that Jesus promised that he would come uh, in reality. Anyway, the bottom line is, here you have you have somebody saying, okay, I'm above the church, my teachings, God is going to come. There, there have been people in recent times um, I think there was a book, the late great Planet Earth, maybe uh, that was mm. that was uh, that was written in the seventies, saying Jesus Those was population bomb uh, book. I think there was it. it. Oh, maybe that was it. I don't remember which one, but there was one that was written in the seventies that that was written by a Protestant saying that he knew that Jesus was coming back at this time and okay. and this it, and and you're so, right. You're right. I don't know if that's the right right title or not, but but again puts himself over and above the church. I will not, I'm not submitting to this as again, a, um, that as parents, we've got to remember and our kids need to know that, that they should be under our authority and that when we speak in authority, they should submit to that authority, not because of what we're going to do to punish them, but because they recognize the fact that we are, are teaching them something that's for their good. Ultimately, and that's where we have to look at the church. The church, anytime we put ourselves above the church or our children put ourselves above us, <laughs> we have to remember that authorities are put in place because God wanted them there for that reason. But, um, and again, we don't, be- we have no problem with 
speaking in tongues. Those we believe that 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 those those gifts still exist and still are still are out there. But um, at the same time, I know a lot of people that anytime they might disagree with us or with whomever, they'll say, well, the Holy Spirit told me or the Holy Spirit is. And, and while we should count on the Holy Spirit and while we prayed that the Holy Spirit would come before we started this show and and uh, speak for us, I think sometimes it's used as a cop-out. I mean, you know, why would you guys say? Well, no, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. I mean, that, that that's how that argument goes. Um, and so I think we'd be wise to say, the only way we can do that is if we're consistent with what the church teaches, because if the church has revealed something and we're going against it, the church is, we know, objectively guided by the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, but only to the extent we stay in line with, with the church, our mother. So anyway. Yeah. So now the uh, very next would be a quite significant and important heresy, Gnosticism. Yeah, yes. Gnosticism. I think I think Gnosticism is oh I skipped over that one. I think Gnosticism is something we need to know. Gnosticism um says that matter is evil. Uh that was the cry of the Gnostics, and the idea was borrowed from Greek philosophers and it stood against Catholic teaching not only because it contradicts Genesis one thirty one, which says that, you know, God saw everything that he made and it was very good, but because it denies the incarnation. And, so, and that's, and that's the Catholics, as I, I've said this probably three times in the last three days because of different talks that we've given, but I, and I've said it here before, one of my professors said to be Catholic, to be Christian is to be punchable, meaning that we're not purely spiritual beings. We as, as humans are um, a union of body and soul, matter and spirit. And we're meant to be that way. We're not trapped inside of, of a body that is holding us back. We are trapped inside of a sinful body, not trapped. We're attached to a sinful body that Jesus came to redeem so that when the second coming comes and the general judgment, we'll be reunited with a holy body, of course, if we're, if we're saved. Uh, and then we'll experience what, being human truly meant to be but we're meant to be death is the separation the the disintegration sin and death is the disintegration of what we should be which is this body soul composite this one this one thing and so anything that says that matter is evil and that we're meant to be pure purely spiritual beings we're not angels we're humans um and how they got around that is they, they denied that Jesus came in the flesh. In fact, that's one of the ways, I, I don't know where in the Bible it is, that actually says that's how, you, that's how you know that it's from the devil is when somebody denies that he came in the flesh, that Jesus was 100% human and 100% God, not some demigod half and half, right? Is that? Yeah, I would also... Point, give some historical context uh, just that we were started out with the circumcisers that's Christianity's nascent Christianity's collision with Judaism right and the implications of its uh, yes. growth out of Judaism perfect and then this is sort of 
Christianity's collision with the pagan world or with uh, classical Roman, Greco-Roman philosophy, because a lot of this grows out of Neoplatonism and, and, and Platonic thoughts, you know, mind-body dualism. Right. Okay? That those are two uh, separate things that are in, in a, uh, not conflict with one another, but they, they have a, 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 there's a tension between them there. Right. No. And, and, and that would make sense. And so as we move forward again, it's the same, the same concept. What we, the church is looking today at, at what is, what, what is being proposed by the culture out there and how is it impacting us? And we can get to the end. We can get to that as we get to the end, but I think it's important to recognize that's how the church operates. Mm -hmm. It operates inside the real world, does not disconnect and remove itself, but instead goes and says, Hey, here's the correct way of viewing this. And and I think it's fair to say, uh, looking at the, at the idea, at the theories that contemporary transgender theory is a descendant of Gnosticism because it proposes basically the same thing. The Gnostics said, well, Jesus only appeared to be a man or appeared to be a human, but really he was just this spirit. Transgender theory proposes something very similar, that a physical man only appears to be a man and really inside it's possible that they are really a woman or a female absolutely that and that so and that's there's a, a great deal of of affinity between those two ideologies or or there's no question theories and there's also i mean there's there's a lot of there's a lot of um you know john paul ii in the splendor of the truth talks about martyrs and 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 some of the some of the theologians that say well it really doesn't matter what you do with your body as long as god knows you believe in him so hypothetically according to these people who are not teaching what's true are we're saying even in catholic circles that well you know a person could deny jesus out of that but but if he really was kind of crossing his fingers and inside saying god you know i really believe in you john paul ii says and that just throws under the bus every martyr (laughs) who ever before said i'm not going to do with my body something that's inconsistent with what I truly believe. And if I do something with my body, we can't separate the two. So it even flows from that. We're like, okay, I can hold one belief inside, but I can do something completely different. Right. I think stems from at least a Gnostic way of thinking. And there's some Pelagianism in there too. Absolutely. Maybe we'll cover today. Yeah. So um, there was the other one. I think this is, again, these are important because they they draw attention to what really matters, and in in the case of Gnosticism, matter does matter. Yeah. All right. It's not it's not something which is again sacramental theology is based that God is able to use matter that we see to convey spiritual graces to right. us. It's not a separation. It's actually right. a unification. Right. And it, it it just flies in the face of the incarnation because Christ's birth nativity his preach his way of the cross his his miracles Everything. the suffering on on the cross the resurrection all of that what did that all do it all elevated matter it it um glorified matter it 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 purified matter uh it used matter to affect salvation 
And that's what the, the, the incarnation ultimately um, is the way God revealed himself to us. And we have to take seriously that God took flesh and was yeah. 100% like us other than sin. Right. But everything that we experience, he experienced hunger, being tired, <laughs> right. uh, being hurt by friends who said one thing and did another. Right. Or, I mean, or another way to propose it is we're exactly like Christ in our humanity except for sin. Absolutely. That, and, that is, and that really is because a lot of people, and even in Christian circles, will, will, will say, yeah, but he was God. Well, yes, he was, but he was 100% us. He was the perfect human. If you want to see what we are capable of, what you and I are capable of separate from sin, look to Jesus. <laughs> yes, he was 100% God also, but we cannot diminish or change that. So, Given our the time, yeah. do you want to do you want to just jump right to Arianism? Since yeah, let's go to Arianism. Major... Yeah, we're skipped over. Yeah, Arianism um, taught that Christ was a creature made by God. Um, he d- disguised his his heresy using orthodox or near orthodox terminology. But the bottom line is, is he didn't. He basically Jesus was a created being according to Arius, and he kind of pulled himself up. And so as that, we can kind of, it, these all kind of tie together. We right. can kind of um, know that God wants, you know, us, and we can, by our own work, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, so to speak. And and there's a sense that's built into kind of our American independent culture <laughs> that that likes that part of it, right? Is that, I mean... Yeah. And I, th- folks, this is like the 300s here in the... Right. Um, the Roman Empire. Okay, so we're we're moving forward in history, and Arianism. It's named after Arius, who was a he was a priest from Roman North Africa, and he taught that. So this is one of those heresies, like we were saying before, that deals with the nature of God and the nature of Christ. He taught that the Father created the Son. Right. That the Son is not co-eternal with the Father. And that's what what Trey's saying there that that Jesus or the son of the son was actually a creature, right? Which Amen. is not not orthodox. And and as I recall, and it's not mentioned here, but as I recall, Arius was very powerful because he used music a lot. And there was mm. one of the lines that 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 he says there was a time when he was not. Yes, um, that was like his in slogan a, in a song. We as Christians know there was never a time when the second person of the Trinity was not. Um, you can always know a heresy when it totally dismisses one aspect, when it says this is the only way to make it understood. So Arianism, very important. It is critical that we re- remember that um, Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we can say he is God. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so just a, a little more um, background on Arianism. It became a, it was a major heresy. Yes, uh, and and actually, much. geographic areas of the Roman Empire uh, and the the Goths in you know Central Europe, for example, the Near East. Those there were bishops who were Arians. There were some Roman emperors who came along and were um, followers of this heretical teaching. Um, but the Emperor Constantine called a council. He, he asked the church to come together in an ecumenical council at Nicaea in modern-day Turkey in 325 right. to resolve this issue. And I dug up a little uh, neat little story about what happened there that, according to tradition, 
there was this bishop of uh, Myra, which was also in Asia Minor. His name was Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And he was there, and he became so incensed at Arius's um, defense of his teachings at one point in the council sessions. Nicholas actually stood up and punched Arius in the, in the nose, knocked him out because yeah. uh, in his his of zeal to defend orthodoxy. Right. <laughs> and um, Constantine threw him out of the session, uh, stripped him of his office of bishop, but Nicholas was visited in prison by our Lord and our Lady and was restored as, as a bishop. And this Nicholas bishop that I'm talking about is none other than St. Nicholas, jolly Saint. old St. Nick. So teach that little story uh, to your children. Absolutely. Share it with your grandchildren. Um, hold on to it as we approach um, the Christmas season. And I, and that I mean that's that is exactly why you go back and look at these things. You can go actually. There's a good video of of uh, a cartoon about Saint Nicholas that is that is accurate and shows and shows uh, that sense. But that's how we need to look at who Saint Nicholas is. Additionally, the baby Jesus, and that's part of because I think he, even though the crash came much later, I think he was known for having a devotion to the baby Jesus, which is when he's, that's the most amazing part of God becoming man that he didn't plop down here, able to do whatever, defend himself. He actually came as a baby and that shows his humanity, um, that he didn't come down throwing lightning bolts or doing whatever. We're not going to get through all this. So I don't want to get, I don't want to get in a hurry and we can come back and do it. We can come back and do it again next, next time even. Um, And so, but 325, it's important to remember that the Nicene Creed that we, that we say was built, was begun because of this heresy and was put together at that. And that's where we have the consubstantial with the father of right. one substance with right. the father. Right. That, that was, that flew directly in the face of what Arius was doing. And that's when the church definitively said, Arius, you're wrong. Right. <laughs> it's He's consubstantial with the Father. Right. And I, another Catholic theologian, contemporary theologian, who I, I really enjoy uh, reading his work, listening to his podcast, Taylor Marshall. He's, a, he's oh, an yeah. Aggie. Yeah. Um, Pache, Trey. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, good. I'm happy with my, I love my Aggies. <laughs> um, but he, he makes a really good point about um, Arian, Arianism's false teaching about the the nature of Christ. And he says, you know, anytime, this is another example of why Our Lady is so important yes. and why holding her in honor and is so critical because anytime we start to move away from certain fundamental truths about the Virgin Mary, we yeah. actually lose grasp. We lose a hold of who Jesus is. So by holding firm to truths about Mary actually helps us hold on to truths about Christ. So for instance, she's the mother of God. Already she was being venerated as the Theotokos, the mother of God in the, in the East. Well, what if she's the mother of God, what does that tell us about Jesus? That Jesus is God. Right. And, and, and it also points to one. So there's, again, these all kind of flow together and they all stand together. When you pull one out because you don't like it, or you can't understand it, and you just deny it forthwith, just dismiss it. Right. it it's a house of cards at that point. When you, it's like it's the, like a the, Jenga the, tower, right? Yeah, you start pulling them out, and at what at some point it's all going to crumble. Right. 
And because, like you said, we did, and we're, we skipped forward, you know, the nest, and this is out there too, I think. Uh, right today, you'd hear this with regard to that Nestorianism. Um, he claimed that she only bore Christ's human nature in her womb um, and proposed instead of Theotokos, the mother right. of God, the God bearer, right. the Christ bearer. What's wrong with that is, and again, it it's understanding that one of the problems is 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 they said okay well there's this human nature and there's his his um divinity his divine nature his and she's just responsible for that but we believe it's one person two natures so what we're saying is it as a person as he's a divine person but he had a human nature and a divine nature that both existed in the one person right and we like again much like the trinity because we skipped one earlier which denies you know kind of there's a modality that they it's all one god but it's really not three persons it's this is another heresy sabellianism yeah sabellianism that that god the father and god the son are just they're they're just showing themselves as different it's the same person just acting differently so it'd be like me saying well i'm a husband but i'm also a father and I'm also a banker, you know, and I just show myself in different modes, but it's all the same one. Those are neater and easier to understand, but they're false. God is one God, three persons. Jesus, the second person of that Trinity is one person, but two natures. And so when, when Mary is is declared the mother of God, it's pointing to Jesus and saying he is God as a person, a singular person who entered into time, but who has in his divinity last been around for right. eternity. And he's not created by the father. Not he's created. co-eternal of co-eternal. the same substance. Consubstantial. Yes. With the father. With the father. And those are all things. And so we're getting to the end and we're going to do this next week, I think. Yeah, because there's a lot here, but but I but I think it's so important that what we understand about God, since He created us in His image, if we if we don't understand that God is a different persons, mm-hmm. in terms of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God, that we don't that co-equal, co-eternal, but that Jesus submits himself to the will of the Father, even though there, those are things that teach us about how we're supposed to live, right. that we can be different yet unified. Right. And I think this also flows into, you know, it's, what's a hobby horse for somebody like Bishop Barron, which is know your faith. Absolutely. Be a smart Catholic. Yes. You know, it's a personal relationship with Christ is of serious importance, but your personal relationship with Christ is going to be distorted if you don't know the truths of your faith. So these may seem like highfalutin philosophical concepts, but they're critical and they address all the your faith. Transgenderism, uh, what marriage is, all those things are addressed. We're going to come back and do this next, next time. But um, anyway, (laughs) uh, y'all just to remember, pray parent with purpose and prepare for God to amaze you. And he will. God bless you guys.
Thank you for listening to this local production of Red Sea Catholic Radio. Tune in next week at the same time to hear Trey and Stephanie Cashin share more on the mystery of parenthood. 